Amen. We are going to continue on in our series tonight called Signature, which is the names of God. And, and um, tonight is Jehovah Saba, who is uh, God our warrior, the Lord of heaven's armies. And that takes us to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where you will find David and Goliath. David and Goliath is familiar to Christian and non-Christian alike, really. It is familiar to a lot of uh, people. Probably one of your favorite Bible stories as a kid, right? And uh, it was kind of the same for me. But um, I was also as a, I would have football coaches that would also come to me sometimes when we were speaking to teams and the only thing they would tell me before uh, coming to speak to their team was like, we've had enough of the David and Goliath stuff, man. Stop telling us that, right? So uh, um, anyway, it's a very familiar passage, and you truly could preach uh, series upon series just looking through uh, the scriptures and, and so many principles to take from that. But if, if you look in, in throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, the Israelites and the Philistines, they seem to be regularly scheduled rivals throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the, it's, uh, the Philistines are mentioned almost 150 times in First and Second Samuel alone. And the scripture records at least seven major battles between Israel and, and the Philistines as they were a constant enemy that were going up against God's people. And, and the reason for their fighting was land. That, that had a lot to do with the reason why they were warring against Israel because God had promised land to Abraham and the descendants of Abraham who would be Israel. And when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and told him to leave for Canaan, the promised land, this land was gifted to God's people by God. And his people, that would be the bloodline of Jesus, that is the Israelites, who would be a blessing to the world through the promised Messiah. And so later when Israel was freed from slavery and they make their way to Canaan, make their way to the promised land to reclaim what belonged to them, they, they fought other enemy people groups along the way. And later, when they reclaimed that land, they fought to keep it from people, taking it from them. They fought against people groups like the Philistines. The Philistines, the scripture says, they were never driven completely out of the land. And so the Bible even describes how they were thorn in the side of God's people, or a pain in the neck, really, throughout the time of Israel within the promised land. And when you think about that, you, that reminds you of the scripture when you try to apply it to our life that in this world you will have trouble, right? In this world you will have a pain in the neck. You will have a thorn in the flesh. You will have things that go on to bother you most all the time. Well, oftentimes the trouble we endure is the trouble we create for ourselves. And that's kind of what you see there in, in the scripture when you look at the Old Testament because God had always promised. In fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 23, verse 22, the Bible says that God said, he had always promised to be an enemy to their enemies. That for the people of God, Israel, that God would oppose those who opposed them. In other words, God would fight for them. He would be Jehovah Saba. He would fight for them. He would war along the way, not by their side, but for them. He promised to, to bring them victory as they belonged to him. And blessing was moving through them. But those blessings of protection were based on obedience of Israel, which often wavered. Now, once again, I've said this over and over. If you want to feel, bad about your, if you want to feel better about your Christianity, just read the Old Testament, right? Read, read the ups and downs, the roller coaster of God's people. And those blessings of protection were often given way to their own consequence because it wavered between faithfulness and unfaithfulness all the time. Judges chapter 2, verse 2 said, For your part, speaking to Israel, 
For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in the land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars, but you disobeyed my command. So, rival people groups remained, like the Philistines, and they were a burden to the people of God, because the people of God did not do as God said. Every high thing must come down. Can't live a little of it. You've got to bring it all down. The things that are in your life, you have got to put them out. They have got to go. When the people of God do not put the earthly things to death that God has forgiven them of and they have sought God to forgive them of, they will hang around. Amen? And they'll hang around and they will cause pain. It'll be a pain in your side. It will influence the way that you talk, walk, and think if we do not put them to death. Now, in 1 Samuel, as the Lord is seeing his promise of Jesus on to the next chapter, God is getting ready, and I love this part, God is getting ready to do something new. They've given a human king the shot, and Saul has become king, and Saul has been a disobedient to God in a great way, and as a result, God is about to do something new. God is selecting a, a new leader, and God is selecting a leader who would be after his will, a leader who would be after his interest, after his glory, and God is, is bringing this young shepherd boy who would become the king of Israel and a covenant to con connect her to Jesus. And this is David. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, comes upon David and when he was anointed as Israel's future king. David is stepping onto the scene, and David, by way of God's sovereignty, began to serve in the king's court uh, uh, by playing the harp. Man, like when you get to studying David, like, man, he was like this all-American dude. Like he could, do, he could play the harp, and he was strong, and he could kill bears, and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Man, really, like you start underlining Scripture, like I underlined one of those in here today. He was a brave warrior, a man of war, had good judgment. He was good-looking. Like this is the one, right? And uh, I don't know if you can achieve all those things, like, unless through the Lord, right? So, like, he, he was, was really sharp, and he played the harp. And, and so Saul, because he experienced the consequences of his own bad judgment, got into fear and depression, the Bible says, suffered from fear and depression because he, he had really sought within himself, made a ton of bad decisions. And so he sought after someone in the kingdom who could come and soothe his fear and depression by playing the harp. And, and it just so happened that, that they mentioned David. It's how God is sovereign and God is working things out to accomplish his purposes. And so he became not only the, the one that would play the harp for the king to soothe his emotions, but he became the king's armor bearer, which you'll see later too. And as I understand it, at this time, David, still a young man, he would go back and forth from the king's service to his father's service. And his father would send him to the ranks of the military because his brothers were fighting. They were, he were fighting against the Philistines for Israel. And so he would send David with supplies, meat and cheese, and y'all go feed the, your brothers. And they would go to the ranks. And while David was there serving his brothers as a young man, David heard Goliath trash-talking the enemies of the living God or trash-talking the, the servants of the living God. He was, he was ta really talking noise to, to the armies that represented the one true God. And the Bible says that Goliath would come out day after day and do this, to defy Israel. And when he did, he, the, the Israelites began to run away in terror. 
And, and the part that we're not going to cover, but that you need to hear tonight, because he was full of the Spirit of God and fully trusted God, is while his brothers were turning away in fear, when it came time for him to go with the slingshot and a few stones, it's, the Bible says that David ran at him. He ran forward, which is awesome. So Goliath would come out day after day, and when this was happening, and it kind of piqued his attention, David said to, said to those in the ranks, he said, so what will a man get for killing this Philistine? This is in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. So what will a man get for, for ending this guy's defiance of Israel? And I just love the way he talks. He said, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Now, if you can imagine, as he's saying, who is this guy anyway that can talk like this? This dude was over nine feet tall. Descendants of the guys in the Old Testament, as I understand it, of that we don't understand exactly what they are, big old guys that would mess you up. And so he's looking out across there. Obviously, he can see that he is not normal, meaning he is not like your best soldier over there. He is like a soldier on steroids, big, tall, fierce warrior yelling and scaring everybody and David, because the Spirit of God is on him and believes God more than he believes, and that guy over there says, who is that, and what do you get for taking him out? Like, man, to, to have the confidence in God uh, leading towards that, because he asked this question among the ranks, and the question caused a stir, and then word gets to Saul that this shepherd boy is asking the question. And the next thing we know, like... If you're reading this, the next thing we know, David says to the king of Israel, to the king of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, I don't worry about him, I'll take him out. That's really what he said. He said, don't worry about this Philistine, I'll go fight him. Now, can you imagine, like one of our students, a junior in high school or something like that, coming over here, and, and this is about to happen, and he goes, yeah, I'll take care of it. Like how we would react, you know? Well, the thing is, is that in his testimony before the king, David's like, well, I've killed lions and bears. I figured that could kind of, and I feel like, like, like that's a good resume to take him out. You see, Christian, if, if you don't forget how God has helped you before, you'll be reminded of how he'll help you again. So full of the Spirit, he, he knows that God has a plan for his life and has seen him to this moment. So David then gathers these stones, and he gets a sling, and his shepherd's staff, not a sword, but his shepherd's staff. And the Bible says he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And Goliath is just flat out insulted by this middle school team that's come to play the varsity. Like he is like, is this who you guys are sending? This is a joke, right? And of course he's hurling obscenities and he's, the trash talk is just endless. And after that is when we get to David's reply. Let's, let's pray, Lord. I just pray, God, as we get to the main principles and the application. I guess, Lord, I just pray tonight that we would believe that you are as big as David knew you to be. Lord, that all of us would trust in you. So, Lord, we just ask, God, that you would uh, teach us tonight, each with our own experiences <coughs> and each with our own battles. And, uh, Lord, that we would see from your word the great perspective that we need as we deal with issues in our life. Lord, we thank you for protecting and taking care of your people, for defending us. 
Lord, I also pray, Lord, if there's, there's one here, God, your spirit reveals tonight that they need a right and real relationship with you, that it would, uh, God, they would uh, turn from themselves and turn to you tonight, Lord. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 17, 45 through 47. This is the back and forth in the reply from David to Goliath. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword, the spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will, I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and the spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. Two things I want you to see tonight, just as we study that the Lord fights for us, and that he is our warrior. The first is that David tells him, my weapon is different than yours. My weapon is different than yours. Goliath fought on his own. You notice what he says, David said, you come to me with the sword, the spear, and the javelin. He is, he is reliant upon his power. He is reliant upon his training. He is reliant upon his strength. He was trusting in his skill to overcome this ruddy little kid in front of him and anybody else that came against him. You see, the tendency in, in all of us is, is the temptation to put confidence in that which appeals to our senses. In other words, that which we can do. What we can do, what we can control, is often what we put our confidence in, the things that we can feel, the things that we can see. Goliath's trust was not even in any of his false gods. His trust was within himself. And the way you go about handling your problems and the way you go about fighting your battles tells you a lot about where your trust is. If it is 90% you and you throw a little prayer in there at the end just hoping God can cover up what you don't, you know, it kind of reveals to you who you trust in. Well, David fought differently. He battled differently. He physically fought, yes, and you don't need to forget that. He absolutely physically fought but not alone. He didn't sit idle and wait for God to show up. He also didn't hide and go in reverse. He had trained. He had experience. He was brave. But his trust was not in those things. His trust was not in his senses. He believed God would use his senses and God would use his strengths to direct the outcome. Therefore, God fought for David. And David said, the Lord will conquer you. And he said, this is the Lord's battle. He will give you to us. And so the name for God introduced here is Jehovah Saba. And that means Jehovah, our God, who is an army organized for war. Or, which is, we understand the name of God to be my God who fights. My God who is my warrior. And just as an army has the power to win, my God is the same for his people. And the psalmist, listen to this. The psalmist said of God's victories through the ancestors of Israel. As God's people have been fighting to take this land and keep this land forever. And, and the psalmist said, they did not conquer the land with their swords. It was not their own strong arm that gave them victory. It was your right hand and your strong arm and the blinding light from your face that helped them. For you love them. God fought for them. Think, who is he talking about? Talking about the slaves of Egypt who didn't have military ranks and a formal army, 
that made their way through and took down army after army at the hand of God. God was taking care of his people because God was taking care of his purpose, which is the glory of God and the good of man, all the way to the cross, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that ran through the line of David. And the scripture goes on to say in verse 4 of Psalm 44, Psalm 44, 4 says, You are my king and my God. You command victories for Israel. Now, who was Israel? Israel was the covenant people of God. God had made a covenant with them. I'm giving you land. I'm blessing you. You will be a blessing to the entire world. It will run through you. Now, church, if you are right with God by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, we are the covenant people. So what this means is, is that we are made right with God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with God now and forever. Eternal life belongs to us. The covering over that is protected by God. The war over sin and against self has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. So if we have turned from ourselves and from our sin and turned to God by faith, then eternal life and the battle that is between us and heaven and separated by heaven and to us from our sin has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. The battle's over and God's already won it. So we get it because he's fought for us. Because God takes care of his people, he takes care of his purpose, and the victory belongs to him. And now what we have here in this life is different battles along the way. The victory's already settled. But we've got these spiritual battles that go on here, and our battles are not looking, more than likely, not going to look like David's. Now, some of you can testify to this tonight if you want to, but we're probably not going to go face off to the death with an unbeliever that is threatening our very life and our very home, right? That's calling you out and, and has army or gear on and about to fight you. It's likely going to be different things, spiritual things. It's going to be external criticisms. It's going to be insecurities on the inside of us with our own personal struggles. It could be circumstances beyond our control. It can be addictive behaviors. It can be the hurt of a loved one, the loss of a loved one, or the wounds from a loved one. But the scripture is going to teach us that whatever battles that we have, and tonight I guarantee we could go one by one all throughout the sanctuary and you could tell me something that is a battle that you have either just gotten through, you're going through now, or you can see it coming. And the scripture is going to teach us that all of our battles are spiritual in nature, no matter what they look like. They are spiritual in nature, no matter what they look like. The New Testament tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, We don't fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, take this down as a note, and, and let it help you for what you're dealing with. That scripture means that every conflict that we are a part of is the work of the enemy through the nature of sin of people. Every battle that we are a part of is the work of the enemy through the nature of our own sin or the sin of somebody else's, which makes it a battle that God needs to fight for you. You see what I'm saying? If it's a spiritual battle, if it's dealing with evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers in the dark world, evil spirits in the heavenly places, 
If these things are spiritual battles, battles that are running through the enemy, through our nature of sin, this is a battle that God has to fight in order to win. Tony Evans says, says relative to this verse, No offense, but you're not smart enough, clever enough, or strong enough to beat an enemy from another realm. And that's what we're dealing with. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, when speaking of needing rescue from wicked people, from evil people that do not believe in Jesus, Paul said, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. That is a New Testament promise that God fights for us. He is, is faithful to protect and strengthen and guard. And do not the Scriptures say when you think about how to fight in these spiritual battles? It doesn't the Scripture say in Ephesians 6, doesn't it tell us about the armor of God? And the one, that Scripture that told us that everything is a spiritual battle, does it not tell us how to fight and how to gird up for that? The armor of God is what? The truth of God, the peace of God, faith in the living God, salvation that's in our head, it's the, it's the helmet. And to fight with what? What's the offensive weapon that we have? The Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. We say all the time that the Spirit of God works together with the Word of God. And, and this is how we fight those battles, fighting for God, with God, as God fights for us. So... When we say these things, this is what I've learned this week as we talk about the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. How you fight your battle that you're dealing with right now being with the Word of God. I learned the following from a trusted pastor this week. A question to ask when dealing with any form of spiritual battle in your life, any form, from addiction to aggravation, is this. What does God say about it? What does God say about it? What does His Word as it works together with God's Spirit that's living on the inside of you, what does God's Word say about it? Reason being this, we need to see the spiritual core of the physical crisis. You need to see the spiritual core of the physical crisis. Sometimes, when you look in the Word of God, you need to be prepared for what you'll find. Because sometimes fighting in God's economy does not look like you think it will. And fighting a lot of times looks more like losing in the economy of God. For example, Proverbs 19.11 says, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. That does that sound like fighting to you? But see, when you factor God in, God is going to tell you to keep your reputation and to earn the respect of others. You need to get over it and move on when it's not that big a deal. That's it. Now, what it does not say is to overlook wrongdoing. It's not saying to just give a free pass to everything. What it's saying is they earn respect by overlooking wrongs. If you make everything a big deal, who's going to want to hang around you? If you make everything, if you fight for everything, you don't let anything go, you can't give grace to anyone, then if you can't give grace to anyone, there's no reason for you to claim grace from God. It doesn't line up. So, so when you are asking that question of what does God say about this, and when you're in an argument with someone, don't be surprised when you come across scriptures that, where the Lord's just like, how about just let it go? Just be offended. That's hard to take because you want to fight, but do you want to fight or do you want God to fight for you? Do you want to be right or do you want to keep the relationship? You see, God is interested in those big picture kinds of things. So when you go to the Word, be prepared what you'll find out. Sometimes fighting in God's economy looks like endurance. 
it doesn't look like you just flat out win. It looks like you make it. Like people are watching you endure, and it's a testimony of your faith in one who is greater and has solved the problem of eternal life. And this one probably is not what you're looking for either when you go to the Word of God. Like who, who loves to go to James 1.12 when you're going through a battle and you read, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. No, just take it away, Lord. Just, just take it away. Or, you know what? I quit. That's, if we want to, if we want to, that's sometimes how we fight our battles. We just give up. Surrender. We run the other way in fear. And God says he blesses those. He purposefully positions and provides for those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, the Bible says. They will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So, when you see the spiritual core of the physical crisis, when you see it through the word of God and the lens of scripture, God is going to work for his glory and for your good. Let me see it that way. You know, the reason we love David versus Goliath is just because it's an underdog story, isn't it? Everybody who doesn't love an, an underdog story, it's a great scene of unexpected bravery. It's this imagery that we have in our head of surprising strength, of shocking victory. Like, we love to watch things like that. But the truth is, it's only all of those things because it was not David who fought and won. Have you thought of that? I think a lot of times, we, and when you think of David and Goliath, we think of the slingshot and the stones, which if you really study that, that's something awesome too. Because if those guys are really good at it, I read a commentary today that said they could throw those things over 100 miles an hour. Like that's like a little sharp thing coming at your head, not like a baseball coming at your head with a helmet on. It's like going into your head. Craziness. But anyway, when you think of this shocking bravery, you think of this, we think of David as being the victor. We think of David as the king. We think of David as like this guy, when, when this happens, everybody is like, that guy's awesome, right? But the only reason this is, is in here and it, it's like this is because David didn't fight and win. God fought for him. If there's a message of, of be like David, which there could be a message here of be like David, it's secondary to submit yourself to God. That is the primary focus of this message. And the question we have to ask ourselves in this application is how do we fight our battles? How do we fight how do we endure? How do we fight when we've been emotionally hurt? What do you do when you've been wronged? What do you do when you're in a circumstance that overwhelms you? When you have been overlooked or maybe you've been undercut? And here's what we see from David. We see that David trusted and he tried. We've talked about this in, in a couple of other uh, Names of God series. He trusted and he tried. David did not get outside of his character. I want you to notice that. What he didn't do was stop acting, start acting like somebody that he wasn't. David did not get outside of his character. Within his effort to be responsible with what God gave him, he simply held his convictions and he trusted the Lord. He held his convictions and he trusted the Lord. How did he do that? His brother was one of the guys that was like, get your tail back home. You're, seriously, you look there in the screen, he didn't say that. I mean, I'm obviously... He was like, you're out here, why don't you go ahead and take care of the little sheep you got back home, brother. Like, that's what he told him. And basically, the scripture says after that, that when David asked that question and brought it up and his brother scolded him, he was like, fine, I'm going to take it to somebody else then. And he went and asked somebody else that question. That's how the question got back to the king. So he upheld his convictions. He was like, 
I know my brother thinks I'm nothing. That guy's nothing because he's messing with the armies of the living God. Can somebody hear me? So he went around with that question, and he upheld his convictions. And then he goes before Saul, and again, he still doesn't give up who he is. He's just who he is, and he's going to fight the battle within who God created him to be. Because Saul's like, hey, you're my armor bearer. Put on all this armor. Puts it on, and David's like, this is ridiculous. I look ridiculous. I, I get a picture of him like standing in front of a mirror, and it's huge, right? Like it's, it's just crazy how big it is, and he's looking at himself in the mirror going, this is, this is never going to work. So he just takes it off, right? And then, so the, because the scripture says when he goes to fight, he has a few smooth stones from the creek. He's got the sling and not a sword, but a what? Shepherd's staff. That's him to a T. That's what he had when he killed the lion. That's what he had when he killed the bear. It's going to be the same way. So he stayed within himself. He didn't take on Saul's armor, didn't back down when he was scolded. He continued to question the Philistine, and then he stayed within himself with what he brought to the table when he fought. When in a battle, I'll write this down too. When in a battle, there's a temptation to shut down or act out. You hear that? There's a temptation to shut down in fear or act out of emotion, which is when we get outside of ourselves and we begin to take the advice of others, people that are telling us not what God values, but what they do. I tell you what I do. Be careful of that, by the way. And then when people tell you that, you start acting outside of yourselves because that's what you would do, but that's not what I would do, right? And so you start shutting down or acting out. And David's example here, because the outcome belongs to the Lord, remember that, the outcome belongs to the Lord, is to remain within your conviction and within your approach and trust the Lord because God has supremacy in all situations. Now, when you hear that, you might think, that's exactly right. I'm just going to be me, and I'm going to stand my ground. Just remember, David was standing on holy ground. Please don't misunderstand that tonight what you need to take away is, I've been acting a fool ever since this started, and I'm going to keep acting a fool no matter what anybody thinks. Please don't think that, because David was not seeking to defend himself. David was defending the honor of God. There's a difference there. So ask yourself this question. If you're in a battle, do your principled stands within your battles, do they honor God or do they just defend the way that you feel? You need to ask those things. Now, his weapon was different. David also said this, my reason is different. Goliath glorified in himself. And if you look back to verse 8 of chapter 17, when he's talking all that noise, <clears throat> Goliath said, I'm the Philistine champion. You guys are servants of Saul. You see what he's doing there? I am the man. You serve this man. It has nothing to do with deity. It's all about who I am and what I've accomplished and who you guys serve. The battle was about who is the best man. Now, take this down. And I'm going to say it twice because this may be one of the most important lines you hear tonight. Goliath's life had become about his life. His life had become about his life. That was all that there was to it. There was nothing greater, nothing more important than what had he going on. What, what was in front of him, what was all about him, he was building himself up. He was talking about himself. He was probably one of those guys that referred to himself in the third person. Goliath doesn't eat that. 
You know, Goliath doesn't touch those things. Goliath does, oh my goodness, right? And this is, this is the kind of guy that you are, are dealing with. His life had become all about his life. But David's battle was different. His battle was different. His reason to stand up and fight for God's, was for God's honor. It was not to prove to his brother that he could do it. It was not to prove to Saul he didn't need his armor. It was not to, to go in front of everybody to get them singing the praises about how Saul killed thousands and David ten, killed tens of thousands. It was not to hear those things. It was not for vainglory. The reason why, why David did it was for God's glory, for God's honor. It's in his communication. And it, when he questioned, he said in chapter 17, verse 26, Who is this that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And then after that, he said again in our verses 45 through 47, he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. He will conquer you, and everyone here will know that the Lord rescues people. This battle is his, and he will give you over to us. Everything was focused towards the will and way of God. Everything from, from the battle to who would be known after it was over. The glory that came with David was not his own doing. God gave him that because he thought he could handle it because he knew what to do with it. You hear that? He knew what to do with it. He knew what to do with the glory that God would allow him to have so that everyone will know. You see, what this is, and you need to hear this when you go through a battle because we've all been through them, we'll all go through them. David's battle served an evangelistic purpose. David's battle served an evangelistic purpose. His approach was, when God wins, you'll all know who he is. And all these other little G-gods that don't even exist are not anywhere near, not even in the realm, not even close. There's gods that you've created. This is the one true God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. Now write this down. Man, this is one of those that I hope I can live up to. It's a good word, but it's hard to take. When we battle, we can either become a mess or a message. When we battle, we can become a mess or a message. In my own family, as a kid growing up, as I think about it now, as, as kind of grown, I guess I'm grown, when I think about it now, the way that some of my family members dealt with disappointment, the way that some of my family members endured hurt when I was a kid and I watched them was, was in their faith. It was not in their feelings. They did not quit on God. They may have questioned God. And they may have not understood what he was doing. But they never called on anyone else. Not once. They would take their cares to the altar. They would take their angers to the altar. They would take their feelings to the church. They didn't run out on him. So they, it was a message to me. Because when you deal with brokenness by faith, there are little people watching how you're going to deal with the battles. There's the children's ministry and the student ministry and your kids in your own home and there's neighbors and friends that are watching you have fights and what you do with them and, and see if you stay together and you keep plugging and you trust God even though you don't even know exactly what he's doing. You know that he's paid the price for heaven. So if it doesn't happen here in eternity, we know that he's going to make it all right. You believe in that? Absolutely, I believe that. See, that's why I even say, like, it's hard. It's easy for me to say this, but, it, but to live it, we can either become a mess or a message. Husbands and wives, have you ever thought about how you handle conflict is a witness to your children? 
witness to your friends. And I got, I'm, I'm like, you get to this point too in your battles with a spouse or family members or people at school, people at work, or what, people at church. Let's throw that one in there. That happens too. Like, I'm so mad at them. Gosh, like I just like an open hand slap them, right? I mean, like, we, we get to that. We get to that place. I had somebody tell me a story the other day about, about their experience here on a Sunday morning, and I thank God for their maturity, but basically they, they told me how they, they felt very um, high-hatted on a Sunday morning, and somebody just treated them rudely, and, and the flesh part of me was like, who is it? You know what I mean? Like, just tell me what their name is. I'll get them right now. I may have at that time. I don't know what I would have done, but... Um, but when we get so mad and so caught up in our feelings, do we believe God's ways above our feelings? So when you ask that question, when we, have, we have to go, what does God say about it? And that God's going to preach about it. There are, right now in our church, there are families that are fighting circumstances, they're fighting sadness and worry and disappointment because of emotional and physical giants that are oppressing but their resolve in God is a living witness. That they believe God and they have faith above their feelings. Psalm 71.3, and we're done. The Bible says, Be my rock of safety where I can always hide. And give the order to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Fortress is that military term where we go and hide so that you can be defended. And God is exactly that for us in our battles. Amen? Amen.